Injuries can end a career for an NFL star. We've seen it too many times to count. And oftentimes, it isn't just the guys that everyone knows that go early in the draft. Sometimes it's the guys that have two great seasons, and then they're often forgot about after that. But what they did in those two seasons could leave them to think that had they been able to play longer, they could have been a Hall of Famer. That's kind of the story of Jeff Nixon, the former defensive back for the Buffalo Bills. His first two seasons in the NFL, he was truly an interception and takeaway machine. Almost every game he played in, he made an impact on the field for the Bills. And then, after an injury, his career moved on, and he could no longer play the game that he loved at the level that he wanted to without really worrying about what would happen next if his injuries got in the way again. And because of that, he ended his career earlier than he would have liked to. The career he did have, though, it was a special one, and it was a great one to hear more about on the Professional Football Researchers Association podcast. George and I were so lucky to be able to sit down and chat with him about his career, his life after football, and the things he's doing to raise awareness about how we treat players after they are injured in the NFL. Here's Jeff Nixon as part of the Professional Football Researchers Association podcast as George and I had a chance to sit down with him and learn more and get to know him just a little bit better, as all of you will do right now. We keep that player theme going next as we have the privilege of talking to a former Buffalo Bill, a former Richmond Spider, and a man who once shook Bob Hope's hand, I guess would probably be uh, one of his better stories that he'll tell us about here this evening. That's Jeff Nixon, the former defensive back for the Buffalo Bills. Jeff, thanks for joining the podcast. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, guys. Well, it's great to have you on and uh, great to hear some of your stories and some of the things that uh, allowed your football career to be one that has shaped who you are. And I guess I want to start with the thing that I kind of teased in the open because I want people to know the story to get things off and, and get things going about you. But there's a connection between you and Bob Hope, and it's not that you knew Bing Crosby, but it's that you actually shook his hand. Tell me about that story. Tell me about that interaction and what allowed you to get that, Jeff? Yeah, I was uh, was selected to the first team All-American uh, football team. Uh, this goes back to 19, the 1978 season. And um, every year, Bob Hope would have a Christmas special and, and he would uh, invite all of the first teamers, both on offense and defense, to come onto a show. And what he would do is he would, we would all come out and we would, you know, uh, run and out and stand next to him, and he would say a joke, and then we'd laugh and go off inside. But um, so when I got up there, um, he said, "Jeff Nixon, he's six foot three, but he only weighs 180 pounds." The reason he got so many interceptions is the quarterbacks mistook him for the goalposts. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I gave him a little sneer and he just looked up at me like, you know, yeah, I'm the boss. I'm, I'm, I get to tell the jokes. You just get to listen and go back. <laughs> you know, so I turned around, ran back to the, and then um, as he did with all of his shows, he, and I was actually the very last one they introduced and then he goes, there they, there you have it, folks. There's your 1978 All-American football team. And 
you kept talking and all of a sudden this pretty girl comes walking across and we all forget him and we just go over to her and <laughs> it's kind of it was kind of funny but uh it was interesting because they did this on the, the set of saturday night live and uh i remember right before the the broadcast i went sneaking in there and i found a script from the old saturday night well from from back then and it was, uh, and I kept it to this day, you know, so that was, that was kind of, you know, it was interesting. It was a taped um, show. And so they were going to air this like the day before Christmas, Christmas Eve. And I was flying to Phoenix, Arizona to, uh, to, to spend the, the holidays with my parents and they were airing it. And I, and I thought I was going to miss it. So I got to the airport and I ran to the closest bar and they, they had a TV and they, people were watching a football game. And I said, hey, can you guys turn this to the Bob Hope show? And they're like, everybody's complaining. I said, just for one minute. So they, they put it on the Bob Hope show. And I swear, maybe 30 seconds later, they introduced me, you know, and they you know did the whole spiel or whatever. Everybody at the bar is looking at me like, is that you? <laughs> and I said, yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks for letting me watch it. And then I booked out of there. But uh, it, was kind of, it was interesting seeing Bob Hope, you know, and, and being around him. And, you know, what a great entertainer he was. What was the SNL script that you took? Can you tell us? <laughs> You know what? I it's been so long since I've looked at it. I've I've forgotten. But yeah, it had all the lines from every single skit that they did. And uh, you know, I have to I, I have to look at that again. It's been years since I since I had it, so I, I can't remember exactly what. But it was interesting because you know you got to see the set. And it was like everything looked so much smaller. You know, like when you see Saturday Night Live, you know, it seems big and everything. But it's really it was a small set. And really, a small audience was, you know, that they had. But it was, um, it was a real honor for me to 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 be there on that show, and, you know. And so I saved it. I saved that tape, and I and I every once in a while I'll post it on Facebook. <laughs> Jeff Nixon joining us, the former Buffalo Bill from the late 1970s, uh, played most of his career in the 1980s as a defensive back. Let's go back to your football start, um, Jeff, and go back to where it all began for you and how you ended up loving the game of football. I feel like we ask everybody this question. Uh, the previous guest, Coach Fonts, gave us a, a really interesting answer about how his dad took him to the steel mill and said, you don't want to be here the rest of your life, do you? And I guess I want to ask you, was it a, a similar story for you, different for you? What attracted you to the game? Was it was it your size as a young kid? What led you to being a football player? I have to say it was my dad. My father was uh, a military man. And he was, we were based uh, in Wiesbaden Air Force Base in Germany. And he said, you know what, I'm going to sign you guys all up for football. So me, my brother, uh, my second oldest brother, Dave, and my oldest brother, Craig, we all got thrown into this game. I didn't really like it. I, I was like, I was a small kid, at, you know, when I was younger. And, and you know, we, um, you know, I was afraid to get hit, you know. And I, you know, and so... <laughs> This, you know, but but I grew to love it, you know, and my dad, he always made sure that, you know, I had all the equipment I needed and all, you know, everything that uh, would help me perform. And um, and he just pushed me. He was and he was a very good basketball player and baseball player in college. And so I, I guess I inherited a little bit of my skills from him. 
Um, you know, and then I got into high school and I really wasn't um, all that good, to be honest with you. I was I was fair, but I but I worked hard. I mean, I tell you what, I, I did not like, you know, being a second teamer or anything. And I was my like sophomore year. But then in my junior year, they, they made me a starter, both as a wide receiver and a defensive back. And I ended up making my senior year the all county football team. And I started getting some scholarship offers, you know, and I, um, you know, I chose Richmond and uh, it was probably the smartest move I ever made. I, I actually made a big mistake though. I, after I signed my letter of intent with Richmond, I went to um, Temple University for a visit with them. And I was like, Hey, these are all free. They're paid for. So I, you know, thought it'd be just a good time to get away. And so, and they were um, the only, under, well, they were, had the longest winning streak in the nation at the time. And I was pretty impressed with everything there. And so I signed what I thought was a letter of intent with them too. And, uh, and I told my dad about it and he said, you're not going there. You're not going there. You already made a commitment and you can't go back on that. And so he picked me up at the airport, took me home, and I opened the front door. There was the head coach of the University of Richmond with a football, and he said, he tosses it to me. He says, I hear you're playing for us. <laughs> I was like, I couldn't believe it, you know, that my dad, you know, because my dad must have called them, you know. And uh, they said, we're going to drive up. We're going to, you know, and that was a pretty good long drive from them, you know, from Richmond all the way up to Northern Virginia. Um, so... You know, it was uh, it was a, it was a smart move for me. You know, even though we were um, a smaller college, we were still playing Division One A football. We played Georgia twice. We played West Virginia, North Carolina, Wisconsin. You know, we had a really tough schedule. And um, what was good for me is that gave me a little bit of more of a national attention because I had some really good games against the bigger schools. Um, you know, and that caught the attention of the NFL and, and the sports writers that, that nominated me to be a first team All-American. Um, and so, you know, then then the next thing they asked me, you know, after I um, knew that I was going to be drafted at some point, and they said, where where would you like to play? And keep in mind, in Buffalo, they had just had the blizzard of 77 just a year before. I said, I want to play anywhere but in Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> So, famous last famous last words right <laughs> yeah yeah well jim kelly said the same thing so i'm in good company you know <laughs> you know which is interesting because i played football with his brother ray kelly for four straight years at richmond he was a linebacker and um you know i i wanted to play for the washington redskins because we had a guy named bruce allen that was on the on our team he was punter, and his dad was george allen Redskins, and he said, Jeff, my dad loves you. He wants to draft you. The only problem is George Allen had, had had given all his draft picks away. He was like, the future is now, so he wanted to get good players right away. And, and it, then it worked out for him. They ended up winning the Super Bowl a few years later. But um, but as fate would have it, I came to Buffalo, and I fell in love with the city, man, I, and, and the fans and everybody. I mean, it's a, just a fantastic uh, place to live you know I'm right here in the heart of the city and I just I just love uh, you know the team still I'm still the big, biggest fan you know so uh, everything worked out pretty good when you're a Buffalo you played for Chuck Knox can you tell us ground about that that experience yeah ground Chuck man that, that's yeah. what they call him because he liked to run the football 
And but he was, you know, he wasn't afraid to throw the ball either. You know, we had a pretty decent quarterback, Joe Ferguson and Jerry Butler at the wideout, Frank Lewis on the other side. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, but obviously on defense, which is what I want, you know, was looking at is where, where can I fit in? And at the time, they had a all pro defensive green. Um, but Tony had had come off a pretty severe knee injury, and you know, and they they wanted to make sure they had somebody that could step in in case he wasn't performing properly or whatever. And I got my chance my rookie year, and and um, came in right near the end of the season. I think I played the last five, started the last five games of the year, and it was. Um, and then I was, you know, the next year was, um, you know, I, I wanted to make sure I I kept that kept that going, you know, so. That's uh, you know, and Chuck Knox was great, man. What a what a, what a guy. You know, I think he's still in the top ten as far as winning percentage throughout the NFL in the history of the NFL. And you know, the only problem is we he never got to the Super Bowl. I I would have loved to seen him get there because he he deserved it. But you know, it's, it's it just wasn't in the cards for him. You know, and but what a great guy. You know, I I, I always remember you know his little sayings that he would have. He, one of them was remember your six P's. Practice prevents piss-poor performance. <laughs> he would say that all the time. And then I remember one time I was walking off the field, I was talking to Curtis Brown, and Curtis had had some issues or something, you know, and he said, he's, and I was listening to him talk to him, and he said, Curtis, you know the difference between a champ and a chump? You. <laughs> like, that is so profound <laughs> you you are the difference you know and the difference between champ and chump um but he had a he had a million say he always made us feel like you know he would go to battle with us you know and it's interesting we i remember we played a game on the west coast and we came back and we 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 lost and we as we always do we'd have a, a team meeting the very next morning to to review the film and and the head coach would always come in and talk to us. You know, so we're all waiting in the room, and he's kind of really late. You know, and everybody's kind of mumbling, what's going on? And he finally comes in the room, and he's got a black eye, big black eye, a cut underneath of his, his, um, his other eye. And we all just went quiet. We were like, what the hell? And he goes, if you think I look bad, you see the other three guys. <laughs> we, we all started laughing. It was a good way to break the ice, you know. He, he didn't tell us what happened, but I think he got in a fight with somebody later that night. He, Chuck liked to have a little drink or two. You know? <laughs> you know, he's always mentioned sort of in the same breath with Marty Schottenheimer because they both had that same experience. You know, they won everywhere they were, but they never got to the Super Bowl. So they're sort of held back, you know, even though they won, you know, tons of games, were always successful and all that. And I, you know, anytime I sort of see Schottenheimer, I always see Knox mentioned in the same breath. And it just, it's unfortunate because they were both great coaches and, uh, you know, sometimes don't get the recognition they deserve. Exactly. You know, and it's, it's just like players. I mean, there's players that have had long careers that have never been in the Super Bowl. It's it's sad, you know, because you would think for maybe a 10 or 12 or maybe even 15-year career, you would have some chance to make it. But it's tough. It is a tough thing. You know, I mean, everybody wants to see Buffalo get back to get into a Super Bowl. And, you know, we went, unfortunately, four straight times and lost. But you know, I think the chance. There's a good chance this year that the, the Bills could be there at the end. You know, 
but it's difficult, you know. You know, it's um, you know. Hopefully, they've learned from the playoff experiences over the past. Couple of Jeff, I understand you were known as Jeff in the uh, Bills locker room. Say that again. I understand you weren't known as Jeff in the oh, yeah, Bills locker yeah. room. Right, right. They, you know, I got a couple of nicknames while I was there. I was first. Uh, Reggie McKenzie called me Millhouse for Richard Millhouse Nixon, the president. You know, and so other people. Then it just got shortened to House. Hey, House. <laughs> you know. And then um, some people called me Spider-Man. Phil Villapiano called me Spider-Man because I went to the Richmond Spiders. You know, I, I kind of liked that one. They even had a play at one point that um, they had, they had um, gave me a name for it, and it's where I blitz in, you know, in a, in a gap, and it was called Spider-Man at three, and I would go through the three gap, and, you know, and, and I thought that was kinda, I liked Spider-Man as a name. That was, that was always a good Tell me, uh, tell me about what that was like being named after uh, Tricky Dick Millhouse. Is that was that was that something you were okay with being named after Tricky Dick, or or did that upset oh, I didn't, you? I didn't care, you know. I mean, it, you know, it just because it got it got shortened to House, and I kind of liked House. That was a that was a cool cool nickname, House. <laughs> <laughs> when Reggie McKenzie said it, it, it everybody heard it. <laughs> You know, Jeff, I, I wanted to ask you, I, I wanted to know, because it, I, I think it, it takes a special type of defensive back. And Jeff Nixon is joining us, by the way, former Buffalo Bill, played his college ball at Richmond. I think it takes a special type of defensive back that's able to force takeaways like you are. I was looking at your college numbers. You had eight interceptions, I think, as a sophomore. You had like seven as a senior. What allowed you to always kind of understand maybe where the quarterback was going or, or be that guy that was always around the ball what did you do to try to be that player and 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 how did you manifest that so well throughout your career yeah you know a lot of people say it's instinct you know that he's got good instincts and you know I remember hearing that from the scouts and you know and and but a lot of it is just being smart being being in the right position making sure you're in the right position at all times and just when the ball is goes whether it's a screen pass uh, or a deep bomb or whatever just get to the get there and get be around the ball because something can happen anything can happen and i you know uh give you an idea you know we're playing the miami dolphins and again we hadn't beaten these guys in 20 straight games and so in 1980 I was like, you know, we got to end this. We're going to – and I was like – I was just so psyched. I was at – everywhere the ball was, I was – I made sure I was around it. The very first thing I did, I, I got a fumble in the game. We ended up getting three points out of that. And then I made an interception. And then I got another interception. And then I got another one. And so, uh, you know, we ended up beating these guys. I had four takeaways for the game. And I tell people, I think that's still a record for the Bills. Four takeaways in a game. I, I could be wrong, but that you know, I'm, I'm going to say that until somebody proves me. <laughs> but um, you know, being around, just getting to the ball, because you know, it, somebody could fumble it, and they could the ball could get. You know, don't let up on any play. Um, always make sure you're around the football. That that and I, that that's what I always did. The one thing bothered me. Um, is that when I was coming out of college, they didn't really have combines like they do today where they bring everybody in, they test them and all that. What they would do is they'd send scouts out to your, your school. And so a scout from 
people came to Richmond, a scout from Dallas came, a scout from Washington, Denver Broncos sent a scout, and they all tested me. You know, how many bench presses can you do with a 225? How, can you run, run, how fast can you run a 40-yard dash? And, you know, how, how far can you run a 20-yard backpedal? Things like that. So, anyway, we were, my senior year, we, we, uh, we had gone on spring, or excuse me, yeah, right before our senior year, I'd gone on spring break and I came back. And wasn't really in that good of shape. And we, we practiced that day. And then at, right after practice, there was a scout that had come down from wherever. I don't even know where he was from. And he, he said, look, we want to time you in the 40-yard dash. And I was like, my coach was like, Jeff, you really should do this. And I said, man, I'm tired. We just finished practicing. He goes, well, just take off your helmet and shoulder pads. And I had to leave my my football my pants and with the pads in it i had to have to leave those in because i didn't want to strip naked on and you know scare everybody but um so they made me run a 40-yard dash and i you know it was on a grass field it, i had my cleats on and so i ran like a four seven you know so this guy went and told everybody else that i was you know i was good instincts and all that stuff he gets to the ball but he's not really that fast well, when I came to Buffalo, I ran a 4.46 uh, 40-yard dash. It was the fastest on the on the team. Even Jerry, like a 4.47 or eight. And so, all of a sudden, they realized that that I was, you know, pretty fast. You know, so that that was the other thing that helped me. I, was, I had pretty good speed. Jeff, as a defender, which like quarterback receiver combinations during that time frame that you were with the Bills, did you respect the most or did you have, I guess, you know, say, hey, these guys, you know, these are the toughest to defend? Yeah, you know, I um I would have to say Dan Fouts and the San Diego Chargers. They had three wide receivers, Kellen Winslow, Joyner, and uh, John Jefferson. They all had a thousand yards in receiving. <laughs> I, I mean, that's amazing, you know. And it was, you know, they called him Air Coriel, if you remember that, you know, the head coach. So those guys were dangerous, you know. And they usually would match me up on Kellen Winslow uh, because of the size and stuff, you know. And so mm-hmm. we had, you know, it was tough. You know, every once in a while I'd be. Uh, you know, if we're doing some blitzing and stuff, you know, I'd be, um, you know, matched up on a wide receiver too, you know, and that, so that was a bit scary every once in a while. You know, I always kept my depth. I just made sure nobody beat me deep, <laughs> you know. But, you know, playing New England with Brogan, uh, Stanley Morgan, he was dangerous, man. That guy could fly. Um, Cliff Branch and uh, the Oakland Raiders, you know, the, in 1980, we beat them below. Um, and we were four and zero after beating them, but I had a couple. Inter- I had one interception in that game. And, uh, they had tried to throw a bomb to Cliff Branch, and, and Cliff had gotten behind me, and so I'm running, and he, we're right in the end zone, and I and the ball hits me right on the back of the head, because Cliff Branch was right there. He was gonna he was gonna have a touchdown, but the ball hit me right in the back of the head. Yeah, those are just some of the guys that I put that, that I. And you know they they were they were all good good ball players, but just about every team had somebody that was that was you know dangerous. 
you know, obviously you played against a lot of guys that, that were great. Was there one guy on your team that, you know, when we talked to uh, Mark Miller, who quarterback for the the Browns and, and the, the Packers back around the time that you played, he said that James Lofton at that time was like the one guy that he played with that just separated himself above everybody else for his work ethic and just the way that he played. Was there a player that you played with that was like you would come to practice in days and you'd be like, damn, that guy's good. On my own team, on the Bills team? Yeah, on the Bills. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I would say I really looked up to Steve Freeman. Steve Freeman was our strong safety, um, and he was just so dedicated to the game of football and so smart on the field and just knew how to make calls, how to, how to get people in the right position. He was just a, a real leader on that defense, you know, and I, I just, um, I was always impressed, you know, he's gone on to be a NFL referee now, you know, so um, sorry about that. I had a phone call coming in, <laughs> um, but yeah, he, he was, he was, as far as uh, like wide receivers, Jerry Butler was, when I, I think if Jerry had, hadn't got injured, he probably would have been in the Hall of Fame. I, I think if I hadn't got injured, I might have, might have been in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> but a lot of guys say that. <laughs> um, staying healthy is, is really important in, in the NFL, you know, it's, uh, for longevity. And, and uh, just being, being there for your team, you know, it was, it was probably the most difficult time, you know, when I got injured and I had – I was playing. They didn't do any surgery at the time. Phil Villapiano, Conrad Dobler, a couple other guys were saying, Jeff, you need to get some surgery on that or it's going to get worse. And they were right. I kept playing and, and, and made it even worse. And then they had to do a total reconstruction on my left knee. And that was really the end of my career. You know, I, it was, I couldn't come back. They put me on injured reserve. And, and I just, uh, the very next year, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. In a way, it's probably good that I didn't play any after because if I'd have hurt that knee again, I'd have been in big trouble. I'd have probably needed a, like a knee replacement or, uh, or something else. So I, in a way, I'm probably, I'm thankful. You know, they did a, the surgery, they did it real tight. I didn't get a lot of my um, flex uh, back in my knee. And so it, it kind of hurt my time too. You know, I went, I went from running that 4.4 to that 4.7, <laughs> you know, so you lose two tenths of a second, three tenths of a second in 40 yard dash in your history. <laughs> Can you, you said you kept playing through your injury. Uh, did you feel like a pressure to keep playing at that point? Because you, you know, I mean, I it almost sounded like you sort of were a warrior there and you just kept playing, even though you knew maybe you shouldn't have been, did you feel like pressure to do that? Because you felt like you maybe were going to lose your position. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, the only thing about Chuck Knox that I have some 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 knocks on him <laughs> is he kind of pressured me to get back in there. Mm -hmm. You know, and it, you know, I remember the old champ and chump speech that he gave to Chris Brown, and I didn't want to be a chump. You know, I wanted to I wanted to make sure that I could contribute, but. It was a mistake. I came back and played on a knee that I knew was bad, you know, and then I re-injured it and then I re-injured it again. I had cartilage taken out of it. Um, you know, and I think a lot of players back in those days, you know, felt the pressure to play even though they were injured, you know, even the big name players, even got, you know, 
you know, I think every player feels that if they don't contribute, their chances of being cut or waived um, increase. And it's and it's probably true. You know, if you if you're not on the field, you can't you know you can't contribute. You know, and so I think what was what was uh, sad about that is that there were a lot of guys that got concussed, and they go out for a few plays and they come right in. You know. And, um, you know, some of them, you know, are now paying the price for that, you know, for, for you know, being, you know, I guess you want to play, you know, you want to get in there and, but, but you have to know that there, at least now we know that, you know, these sub blows to the brain can cause long-term damage. You know, can, you know we, you know, they did some research on this and they found that football is four times more likely to uh, uh, Alzheimer's disease. Now we're finding out that Parkinson's, you know, is a big issue with a lot of former players too. So, you know, they still are not exactly sure about the science, but hey, when you're hitting your head against somebody, and I'm not even just talking about in a game, I'm talking about in practice. But, you know, there was a lot more hitting in practices than there is nowadays. And, you know, and, and a lot of guys were taught to lead with your head, you know, hit, hit the guy with your head, you know, and um, and now we know that that's not a good thing to do. <laughs> you know, fortunately, they finally came around to to understand that. I know you've been a staunch advocate for player rights and alumni rights, and you mentioned their CTE and some of the other stuff. What what issues are most important to you in, in those areas? Well, I think. What what I always thought would be the best thing to do is to have somebody on the sideline that was a neurologist that could check these guys when they come off the field. And sure enough, they set that up. They, you know, so now when a guy gets dinged a little bit, you know, they put him, take him to the tent, you know, and they, they check him out, you know. And if he's got, you know, if they can see that he's got some memory issues or, some confusion or whatever, they'll take them out of the game, you know, which, you know, a lot of guys will complain. They'll be like, no, I can go back in. I can play. But I think it's good that they have this, these neutral doctors that were on the sideline now that they can do that. Um, you know, but, but the fact is, you know, a lot of guys got hurt and, um, you know, instead of filing a, a worker's cop suit, which a lot of guys did after they finished, um, they said, why don't we sue the NFL because of what they did to players, you know, and, and, and putting them back in the game after, after they, you know, were concussed. And, um, and you know, we were, we were successful. We, you know, players, um, we, we filed a class action lawsuit. I was one of the first ones that was in it. Um, you know, we, you know, we basically said that, you know, the NFL should set up some type of, you know, system where players can get paid a sum of money for, you know, if they have Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, CTE, um, you know, or what they call cognitive impairment. And they had two levels, level one, level two. And so to date, uh, they, the NFL has paid out $1.2 billion dollars in that settlement. I'm not sure if a lot of people realize that, but it's probably the, the largest lawsuit the NFL has ever paid out. And we filed a couple other ones too and got some money from them too, because they had taken our images and they used them in the Madden football game. 
And we had all signed contracts or, you know, memorandums of agreement saying that, you know, they would compensate us if they did, but they never did. And so a lot of guys got a little bit of money through that one. Um, there were some lawsuits against the use of um, certain medications like hydrocodone, Percocet, um, and other drugs that they would just hand out, typically after a football game, um, and got a lot of guys hooked on those drugs after they left the game, too. And so, yeah, rem- yeah go ahead. Yeah, I remember uh, a couple of years ago, you were at the uh, Buffalo chapter meeting and you spoke. And I remember you said, and I'll, I'll never forget you saying that because it just really affected me at the time. Because, you know, you 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 would hear about those things, but it was the first time I heard it from a player. You said that, you know, they would almost hand out pills after games like it was candy. And I mean, yeah. I was just, you know, and I mean, obviously you hear that stuff, but to hear it from a player to say that, I mean, I, I just I was taken aback by that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, these weren't prescribed. I mean, even though these were controlled substances, they, I never got a prescription. I never, you know, they, so there was a lot of, you know, just unaccountability for the way that these, these pills were distributed, you know. Um, and there were other, you know, I was taking this, this one drug for my knee. It was called uh, Butazolin. And, and then another one called Indocin. And about five years after I retired, um, the FDA took those, both those drugs off the market because they, they had killed some players and they were destroying a player's liver. And so, you know, they, you know we, we're now getting to a point where there's much more accountability, you know. Um, and, I, and I think that was important to the integrity of the game, you know. But, uh, but I tell you what, I'd do it all over again. I do the whole thing over again, even if I, even, even if I knew I was going to get injured. So play. <laughs> hey, Jeff, last thing we want to ask you about before we let you go is uh, obviously we would like to know more about the player than just what they did on the field. And, you know, it's not hard to figure out that uh, you're a pretty talented blues guitar player. Um, tell me about your work, uh, I, I guess, strumming the strings and, uh, what allowed you to go down that path and, and what made music another love for you? Well, you know, when I was younger, my brother Craig, he played the bass. And I remember one time he, a friend of his came over who had a, a guitar and I watched this guy play the guitar and I was amazed. He was so good. And I said, I want to be that good. I want to be that kind of player. And so I asked my dad if I could get a guitar. And then I, I forget when it was. I think it was maybe, uh, I think just maybe a freshman in high school. He, he put one under the Christmas tree. And, and so I played that thing. I drove my parents crazy playing that guitar. And but I remember what Chuck Knox told me. Perfect practice prevents piss poor performance. <laughs> so I played and played. And, and, you know, and you can't help but get better when you, when you, when you, I, um, when I came to Buffalo and I, I met my wife, Joyce, you know, she sang. And so we, we joined a band called uh, A Jazz. And we didn't play just jazz. We played the blues. We played rock songs. We, you know, we played a lot of different genres, you know, depending on what the crowd was. But I, I really enjoy playing the guitar. It's such a, a great way to relax. It's like, it's like my meditative uh, therapy in a way. You know, anybody that plays an instrument, they know what I'm talking about on that. And I, you know, we're going to play, as a matter of fact, this Friday night at the casino. 
Uh, we've got the Buffalo Bills alumni band. Uh, Butch Roll is going to play. I'm going to I'm going to play and sing a song. Lupa Cohen's going to get up there. He's got a song called "Ain't Nobody Going to Buffalo My Bills." Uh, it's on a 45 record, actually. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it's not too bad. <laughs> and I played the I played the rhythm guitar on the uh, on the tracks on that song. <laughs> if, oh, if, if it's some, if it, if it's something that Lou did, I can imagine it's it's full of personality. Oh yeah, yeah. So he's going to sing that uh, Friday night. And, uh, and and Butch Butch is amazing. It's like Hendrix on the guitar. You know, I'm not I'm not uh, like that. But I, you know, I like to let it rip every once in a while. Jeff, uh, we really appreciated this time with you. Uh, always great stories. And I know you and I have talked in the past when I had my radio show. And, and we're just so happy that we had you on the podcast. Jeff Nixon, former Buffalo Bill, uh, former Richmond Spider, uh, great guitar player, uh, and uh, just all around a great guy. And, and we really appreciate you, George, and I do joining the podcast here tonight. Thanks, guys. Anytime. Anytime. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Take care.